In April of 1987, the Church of Lukumi Babalu'ai leased a property in Hialeah, Florida. It was an effort led by Santeria priest Ernesto Pichardo. Pichardo was born in Havana, Cuba, but it was only when he moved to Little Havana in Miami that he became drawn to Santeria, an Afro-Cuban religion with elements of Roman Catholicism and the Yoruba religion. Despite social stigma against the faith from neighbors and friends at school, he was initiated at the age of 16. And only a few years later, he founded the church of Lukumi Babalu Aye with his brother, Fernando. The two brothers purchased a former garage in Hialeah in 1987, hoping to create a space where Santeria rituals could be practiced openly. Among those rituals were animal sacrifice. When the Hialeah City Council came across Ernesto's permitting application, they called a series of emergency public hearings. Only a month later, the council had effectively banned ritual animal sacrifice in the town using animal cruelty laws. The new policy exempted kosher slaughterhouses, hunting euthanasia of stray animals, and feeding live rabbits to greyhounds. It did not exempt the ritual slaughter of goats, rabbits, and chickens used in Santeria. Ernesto and the church sued on religious freedom grounds, and the case eventually made its way all the way to the Supreme Court. The court ruled that religious beliefs need not be acceptable, logical, consistent, or comprehensible to others in order to merit First Amendment protection, and that the church should be permitted to practice these rituals freely. When the church was finally opened, 20 of the new members danced, prayed, and offered tropical fruits and a big cake frosted in white and purple to the god, Babalu Aya. Fernando reported to the Associated Press, quote, We're letting the deities know we're here and ready. Welcome back to Season 3 of Tomorrow is the Problem, an ICA Miami Art and Research Center podcast. I'm your host, Donna Honarpiche. This season, we'll be looking at rituals as critical practices and movements shaped by indigenous traditions and local populations around the globe. From the assemblage works of artist Betty Saar to the psychedelia of 1960 countercultures and the way art borders trance, we'll explore the range of practices channeled by artists who traverse the religious and spiritual aspects of ritual and give them new meanings. Today, we begin in Cuba with two artists whose lives, art, and ritual practices find roots in Yoruba and the African diaspora. My name is Maria Magdalena Campos Pons. I am the Cornelius Van der Beelen Daoshier Professor of Art at Van der Beel. I am an artist. I was born in Cuba. I live in America for the last uh, 30 something years. Growing up in Cuba, in the town of La Vega, in the municipality of Manguito, in the region of Colón, <laughs> and then in the province of Matanzas. In this little town of La Vega was a former sugar plantation, and it's still there, standing. In Campos Panza's hometown, history was inescapable. Descendants of enslaved African people and indentured Chinese laborers lived alongside the old plantation barracks that still stood. I could touch the walls that my ancestors and the world working there touched themselves. I couldn't enter the door that ancestral people in my family walked through. 
In addition to the built environment, less tangible connections to her ancestors also thrived in Campos Panza's community. Practices of Santeria, which were brought by enslaved African people, were imbued in everyday life and were part of the spiritual festivals that dazzled Campos Panza as a child. I remember seeing the train, stopping the train station, and from the backyard of my house was the former barrack. I could see people getting out of the train and seeing this procession of people coming to the celebration in this town. In Santeria, practitioners worship the Orishas, deities that mediate between God and humans. These Orishas are both deified ancestors and natural forces. Chang'o, for example, was a king in Oyo, the ancestral homeland of the Yoruba, and is also the owner of fire, lightning, and thunder. The potent force and the potent energy of those celebrations, but everything around it, the sense of community. In that time, I didn't know there was Chang'o, Definitely Shango, and the beauty, the intensity of what I witnessed there have never left me, ever. I have seen all kinds of magnificent scenes, but what I witnessed there as a possible six, seven years old young lady have never left me, has never left me. But ritual came not only in spectacular festivals, but in the most everyday moments of Campos Ponce's early life. And it was this gentleman, his name was Javierito, who will clean the entire town with a broom made of the branches of the fruit of the palm tree. And he will do the same cleaning between the village of La Vega and the larger town in the municipality that was Manguito, that was three kilometers away. He was a street cleaner, but that was not his profession. That was his ritual. He was not paid for doing that. He was doing that by the good of others and the good of his inner soul, in which this gesture of cleaning his surrender from himself and other, day by day, time by time, continue, has an impact in everyone. I will never forget that. This act of cleansing with a broom is one of many rituals that Campos Pons has explicitly referenced in her performance art. Her 2020 performance, When We Gather, featured her and six other women dressed in white gowns. Together, they surrounded a courtyard statue in the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., and began a procession as they tied the material and metaphorical knots of their struggles and waved white flags in a sweeping motion, forging collectivity in their respective plights. In this day, give us permission to mark this performance this serves as a symbolic act of cleansing grounded in Yoruban and other indigenous traditions of the U.S. and beyond. If I ever do a performance cleaning with a broom, it's an homage to him. A man, very petite, walking with his broom in his shoulder. Because I saw that so many, many, many times. So for me, 
the introduction of the interesting and ritual is the result of a everyday domestic observation of people's life and people's stories, and especially my people. Like Campos Pons visual artist Jose Bedia grew up enveloped by a deep and active connection to ancestral means of worship. I grew up in Cuba, in the in the city of Havana, in a poor neighborhood named Luyano. In Cuba, they have still alive four different Afro-Cuban traditions. The most famous one is the Yoruba tradition, the Regla de Ocha, or Santeria, the people know as the Santeria, who came from the area of Nigeria. The second one was the Congo tradition, who was apparently the oldest tradition who, who came from Africa, once again brought it by the slave. And apparently the Congo was the first group of people who arrived in America. In the Congo tradition, the Orisha are not associated with divine or human representations. Instead, they are forces of nature, like the ocean, river, and savanna. The main priest in those traditions is naming the Gangangombo. So I was lucky to be introduced to one of these Gangangombo in Cuba by my own mother. His name was Alberto Boicochea, he was my tata my mentor in the Afro-Cuban tradition. My tata means like the godfather. He was an old black man. He had a, a great knowledge of, of the Afro-Cuban tradition. He shared with me many things. And I've been there in all the moments with the, the ceremonies that required. While being initiated in the Congo religion, Bedia was also developing his skills as an artist. He studied art in Cuba from 1970 to 1981, but it wasn't until 1984 that his style would be changed by the influence of his spiritual godfather. I erased all kinds of decoration things. I got more concentrating something more simple. But when I say simple, I don't mean easy. I mean something more condensed and concentrating something more basic to the basic form, to erase decoration, erase unnecessary things. And I start to draw just in black and white. Despite this influence, Bedia maintains a clear separation between his relationship to ritual and religion and his work as an artist. I don't think I do ritual for public. I do art, influenced by those rituals, but I don't do ritual, I do art. And I try to respect the borderline between one area and the other. The very important element of the things inspire me and influence me, but the result don't have nothing to do with ritual. Campos Pons, on the other hand, sees the role of the artists and the artist's creation as much more intertwined with ritual and spirituality. Threshold between art and ritual is a blur line, is a cross line, is a crossroad, and you could take every direction. It's a center point. A ritual is, is set itself in the center of the seven directions of possibility of motion. In my idea of rituals and in the rituals that I try to perform in my own work, is always calling of love, calling for healing, calling for cleansing. I am thinking in a small performance that I did with my student, Havana Ballenio in Havana, was 2015. 
and it was very simple. We have a book. They have a very long line of fabric with a little bell in the end. I wrote questions in the book and in different page and then close the book and pass it to anyone that is in front in that place and say, open a page and answer. The energy between the people holding the book and the other person in the end holding the line, I saw and I built a piece as an umbilical cord of trust as an umbilical cord to allow it in a muted way, in a quiet way. As a matter of fact, my belief is that that was a healing moment for the person writing and the healing moment for the receiver. Either be myself or the student that were there communicating and letting people say things that eventually they will need to go and say aloud in the street. But in that moment, the safe place was the page of that book. And it was complicity and silent, but beautiful understanding. Rituals allow for place of trust, complicity, understanding, relief, opening of the soul, a space. Every time that a ritual is performed, Everyone that is in it become part of that link and that lineage. So while Campos Pan sees art as ritual and ritual as art, Bedia is committed to maintaining a distinction between these realms. While he does not incorporate the Congo religion into his paintings, Bedia draws inspiration from other spiritual and cultural practices. In the process, he breaks and renews generations of art-making traditions. In the recent time, I proposed to myself to work with the idea of symmetry. I like the idea of symmetry because the symmetry is something what in art school they, they owe with the professor Riet, the idea of symmetry. The symmetry, they say, is boring, is primitive, is linking with the past. And for me, the symmetry is very important because the symmetry gives me a chance to talk about dual forces. Uh, night and day, sun and moon, men and women, animals and human, nature and culture. So the thing is, we were training in the Western tradition to use for something. In my case, I am a right-hand writer to work with just one hand. So I, I'm standing in, the, in front of the painting. I work with just right hand. What I do now is I start to work with both hands at the same time. And this is something what I learned from the tribal people. People from Africa, from Oceania, they make these signs on the floor, in the sand or in the dust with fingers at the same time. So no matter what type of design you do at the same time with both hands, it's like a, the director of the, or of the orchestra, right? Everything happened the same way, the left side to the right side. And I do that now, intentionally. I chosen a, some particular side of canvas who are no bigger than my open arms. So something where I can reach in both sides, standing right in the middle. Bedia draws significant inspiration from anthropological inquiry. 
He has been a lifelong traveler and student of non-Western religious practices and has closely observed many African rituals, which has without a doubt influenced his art-making practice. I've been in certain places where the people was initiated in certain religious forms similar like that, why was initiated in Cuba. And that is a very important moment. Included in those coming-of-age rituals is the Central African practice of Mukanda, during which children are removed from the community and isolated in an encampment in the bush, where they learn myths, hunting skills, and ways of being in the community. And the idea is to make like a breaking point between the a period of the kid was considered a child, and they also... In that particular moment, they produce many forms of art, like many maquiches and costumes. They call it maquiches in this society, when the people coming out dressing in some particular way with masks and costumes. And the idea to, to come out like that is to teach the kid how to make selection, the right or wrong selection in life. Bedia is deeply curious about the techniques and motifs of the masks and other ritual objects he's observed in these ceremonies. I like to go to that, the ultimate meaning of things. For me, it's very important, the contents of the thing. I think that's very important because Picasso's use of African masks almost just sort of extracted the mask outside of its uh, setting and its use only for its structure and form. Whereas your work is very interested in the actual use of these objects and all of the, the energies and traditions behind them. Yeah, this is, I try to go further, not just occasional visit. I I like to establish a, a long relation that I normally visit the same place more than one time. So the whole thing, I was able to be a witness of the how the, the society grow and develop and how they incorporate new elements sometimes. Because those societies normally are in constant change, you know, and they incorporate new elements all the time. Bedia credits many thinkers and practitioners in the evolution of his work, including art historians Antonio Alejo, Robert Ferris Thompson, Joe Rivera, and his tata, Alberto Goicochia. In part because of their influence, he has continued to think about how connections to the past and continued evolution in the present act as sources of power. We all have this colonial past. This was a traumatic process. This is a common link between all those cultures, the colonialists in Cuba, in the Caribbean, in Africa. In the, with the Native American people, we all suffer the kind of thing. And from for first time, for the really first time, all those cultures have the, the right and the condition and moment to spread themselves and their, what they really are. Rituals are forms of resistant and subversive forces in any time, on any circumstances. The people that hold the rituals profound are rebels. They're going to find way to speak truth and deep inner truth in front of everyone all the time. That's what the rituals are for. That's what the rituals allowed the potentiality to speak your truth and to all forces. So when you invite me to this conversation, the future is the problem. 
how an interesting point of departure. Rituals look to tradition and to the past in the continuum is a kind of message sent ahead to the future. So any ritual, any time that in my own practice, before I started performance, I call my ancestors and I ask them for permission because they live in circularity. And when I call them, they hear me in the past, in the present, and in the future. Let us never forget our origins. The future is full of unforeseen. No olvidemos jamás nuestros orígenes. El futuro está lleno de imprevistos. Part of Campus Ponce's orientation towards the future is the way her audience members become entangled in the rituals, propelling it in a time and space beyond the performance itself. I had used for many years in my performance something very important, who is a gift to the participants, leaving the participant with something that is part of the performance but also inviting people to bring something to the performance that could be interchangeable. Part of that was the tradition of Santeria in which in the celebration of the Orishas, candies and fruits are given to the children. And I remember, I still remember the, the smell of the bananas in the altar of the Yalosha, me counting the days of when is this part is going to happen so that I could eat the bananas because they smelled it already. Campus Ponce draws our attention to Felix González Torres, a fellow Cuban artist whose work often functions as offerings to viewers. You may know him from his famous iterative work, Untitled, Portrait of Ross in Los Angeles, which consists of a pile of individually wrapped candies that viewers are invited to take with them outside the walls of the museum. The 175 pounds of hard candy represents the weight of González Torres's partner, Ross Laycock, who died of AIDS-related illness in 1991. As an alternative form of portraiture, this pile of candy does not represent a face, but instead foregrounds the density, physicality, and weight of the body and of a life grappling with illness. Many have interpreted the pile of candy as a metaphor for the deterioration of the human body and its replenishment as a symbol of immortality created through a participatory ritual of remembrance and recreation. Each person who takes and eats a piece of candy becomes a participant in the artist's mourning. People discuss him always as a conceptualist and in a way of a minimalist all of that, I think of him as a very Baroque artist, a very much thing in rituals, and very much connected with everything that was profound in Cuba. For once, sugar. And then the air of that place and the breeze of the Caribbean and everything that he made, his curtains, his pile of, of candy. It was such an emotional moment and a profound moment to think that the viewer, the visitor to an, a museum could live with the art in their hands. 
because all the history of Western art was the collection is for the one they could collect. The museum is a precious place that you go, the one that could arrive there. And Felipe Gonzalez Torres undo all of that. Take it. <laughs> repeat it. Take it. Repeat it. While Maria Magdalena Campos Bons and Jose Bedia hold the idea and power of ritual in varied ways throughout their respective art practices, they both emphasize the relationship between art and ritual as constitutive to the objects and performances we encounter in art spaces, and also the modes in which we interact with both art and ritual, and sometimes the blurry boundaries between these arenas. Every time that a ritual is performed, everyone that is in it become part of that link and that lineage of makers and participants forever. And every site that is the ritual performed being marked by that experience forever. So it's a path of understanding and collective, and it's almost like every performance Every ritualistic performance is a small conspiracy for some troubleshooting for the future. If we, through rituals, to the kind of calling of the deeper soul and calling of the deeper energies that rituals could provide, we could manage to create a collective energy. And I believe in that. In the decades since the court battle over the Church of Lukumi Babalu Aya's ritual practices, Santeria has continued to thrive in Miami. Its influence can be seen in the altars that dot the streets of Little Havana and the work of artists that have been exhibited in ICA Miami, like Carlos Alfonso, Christine Brash, and Betty Saar, who we will learn more about later this season. The border between art and ritual from Cuba to Miami will continue to foster new connections to our pasts and new understandings of our futures. Join us next time as we focus on rituals of transformation in the art of contemporary artist Betty Saar and Black feminist art practices. Tomorrow is the Problem is produced in partnership with Podfly Productions. This episode was written and produced by Aubrey Calloway and me, Donna Honarpiche. Our executive producer is Jocelyn Aram. Our recording engineer is Carlay Reem Neal. Our sound designer is Nina Pollock. Special thanks to Maria Magdalena Campos Pons and Jose Bedia for joining us on the show. I'm Donna Honarpiche. Thanks for listening.